I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, you and I gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Are you who you need to be? Are you who you even want to be? That's the question that I'm asking myself this Easter season. We are a people who live in light of the resurrection. And it can be so easy living in our culture, living with the busyness of every day to say, uh, I just need to get through today. I need to get to the end of the day and make it home from work and rest and be with my family and wake up in the morning and do the whole thing over again. We can get so caught up in the mechanisms of life that we miss the broader question. Am I who I need to be? Am I who I want to be? And so I've been spending this Easter season asking myself, what do I need to do to turn into, to become the person that I want to be? And sometimes that requires some scary changes, right? You have to put a little, uh, put a little faith in Christ. You have to step out of your comfort zone. And just like Peter stepped out of the boat in the middle of a storm to chase after, to come after, to follow after Christ who is walking to him on the waves. Christ is calling us into the uncertain waters of holiness. And we think of holiness as this thing that belongs to the saints, that we sing the songs about the holiness of God, we remember the stories of the holy saints, and, and yet somehow holiness seems out of our reach because we live in the mundane. I've got to get up. I've got to go to work. I've got to make sure that there's food on the table. I've got to make sure that, uh, that the car has gas in it. And those things don't seem all that conducive to holiness because holiness seems to take a lot of our time. Uh, if I really wanted to be holy, I'd have to give up these bad habits. I'd have to spend more time uh, really devoting myself to... Uh, to the spiritual practices. And I, I just don't have time for that kind of thing because I have to live life. And yet the church says in her documents and her exhortations to us that there is a universal call to holiness, that all of us have the vocation of holiness that we are called to. Now we have to find out what that looks like. We have to develop it and grow in it. And that's hard. And not only is it hard, it's painful because it means that there are things in my life that, that stand in the way of holiness that I've got to give up. And of course, that's what we spent all of Lent looking at. We spent Lent focusing on the question, what are those things in me that are not right? What are the things in me that are preventing me from following fully uh, after after Christ? What are the things that are preventing me from fully depending on the mercy of God, on the graces of God, and, uh, and recognizing our own need, my own need for Christ? And we do that so that we can own Good Friday. We can see how our own fallenness, our own shortcomings contributed to Christ's uh, death. And by owning Good Friday fully, then we can fully own Easter. So here we are. You may be way past Easter in your mind, but the church is not. We're here on the, tomorrow's the fifth Sunday of Easter, and then we have three more next week, the week after, then we have the Ascension, and then the week after the Ascension, finally, we get to Pentecost. 
Pentecost is that day where God sent his Holy Spirit upon his church to give them, uh, he says, when I go away, I won't, I won't leave you orphans, but I'll send the comforter. I'll send the parakletos is the word in Greek, the one who comes alongside to help. And so here I am asking this question in the middle of Easter, reminding myself that this is what Easter is about. Am I the person I need to be? Am I the person I want to be? And so I invite you into that question with me. In fact, I invite you on social media over facebook.com slash step outside the walls, Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. I don't need to know how far away you are from the person you want to be, but why don't you just leave me a tweet or a message that says, I want to be, and then put it in there. That's what we're going to do this week. Uh, I want to be, uh, and, and Remember, we don't want to say more. We don't want to say, I want to be more holy. Great. How am I going to measure that? How am I going to know when I've gotten there? Right. I want to be uh, more loving. That's fine. And it's good and it's right to desire that. But how do you know when you've gotten there? Uh, I want to be a person myself who reads more of what the church has to say. And so I might say, uh, I, I want to read... Uh, a paragraph a day out of an encyclical. That there's a there's a specific thing. I know if I've done that or not, right? I can say to you, "Hey, I've I've read." Maybe you say, "I want to I want to read 5 pages. 5 pages out of an encyclical a day." Maybe you want to start joining me in the breviary and the liturgy of the hours. Uh, and maybe you just say, "Hey, I want to read uh, the the reading from the fathers and the bre- and the breviary every day." 15-minute reading, you're done. Maybe you say, I want to read the scriptures of the day, the mass readings of the day, and you can get those over at usccb.com. That's where we get them for the show. Uh, Maybe you do something like that, something that's going to be a progression in your spiritual life, something that's going to say, hey, I am a different person now in Easter than I was in Lent. I want to be someone brand new. I recall uh, some time ago, having this realization that uh, being an adult wasn't just going to happen to me. I actually had to make the choice to start doing adult things because, you know, you get out of college and you, you go to grad school. I went to, to Protestant seminary and you're still in this student mindset and you're thinking, well, okay, yeah, when I get out in the world, that's when I'll be grown up. And then I'm out and it's like, when I, when I get married, that's when I'm going to be grown up. And here I was uh, probably four or five years ago, and I asked myself, who do I want to be when I grow up? Who, wh- what does that look like? And for me, you're going to laugh at me. The picture I have in my head of what I really want to be when I grow up is the guy who has a high back chair in front of a giant fireplace in the middle of a giant library uh, with a, a single malt scotch in one hand and a pipe in the other and leather patches on the jacket. You know, that to me, that's this picture of I have arrived. And uh, I decided that I just needed to start being the person that I wanted to be rather than waiting for it to happen. Uh, and part of that included beginning to engage more with the writings of the church. Uh, I was, that knowledge was never just going to drop on me. Like one day I'd wake up and I 
knew what all of the church fathers said. You know, I had to begin day by day reading what the church fathers said so that then later I could have those conversations and say, well, you know what St. Peter Chrysologus said about this? Uh, and so I began doing those things. Who, who is it that I need to be? Who is it that I want to be? I want to be a person who at the end of my life uh, has done more to draw people to the beauty of the face of God than I've done to drive them away. And trust me, I do both. You know, if you have uh, had any positive experience through this show, I'm, I'm so grateful. And I'm also so grateful you've never been behind me in traffic, right? <laughs> we, we all have those things that we do that people can see the face of Christ in us. And we have those things that we do that people are like, oh, oh, you're one of those, are you? Uh, so at the end of my life, I hope that, that I've done more for the glory of God than I've done for his detraction, right? I, I want to live that holy life. Uh, I want to be the person who, yes, knows the fathers, but more than that, lives the things that they revealed to us about Christ. I want to live a holy life. I want to be a saint. Now, I don't care if the church ever canonizes me and puts my name in front of anything or ever officially recognizes that uh, that I have something to teach the church. I, th- that that doesn't really appeal to me one way or the other. I want to live a life that at the end of my days, God looks at me and says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what it's all about. That right there is the whole purpose of Easter, is that Christ's redeeming work on the cross has made a way for us to be reconciled to God so that we can be changed, right? It's what we talk about in the opening of the show, that we're going to talk about the foundations of our faith. Yes, but that foundational faith has implications on the way we live our daily lives. I can't just go to Mass and then receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ and then leave that place and reject him by my actions, whether that be through cutting someone off in traffic or being a jerk, or whether that be uh, through, through the words that I speak, through the way that I interact with others. If I'm going to receive into me Christ in all of his fullness, then I have to go out and let Christ in me shine forth to everyone around me. I want the end of my life. The person I need to be is the person who reveals Christ to others through the actions of my life. And I want you to join me in that. So go over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls message me and say, I want to be, and tell me what it is you're going to do to foster growth in your spiritual life. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg. He's leaving the Diocese of Tulsa, where he's been a priest for uh, a number of years. And he's moving now to the Archdiocese of Seattle to be an auxiliary bishop. We're going to have a great conversation about his journey into faith, into priesthood, and now following him as he goes forward from here. You're not going to want to go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today, we're talking with Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg. He's been a priest in the Diocese of Tulsa for a number of years. Uh, He's been the pastor at Christ the King Parish there in downtown Tulsa, but now he's been assigned as an auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of Seattle, together with Archbishop Peter Sarton and Bishop Eusebio Alessandro, who we had on the show talking about uh, immigration and migration back in February, the February 11th show. Uh, But today, we're going to be talking with Bishop-elect Magenberg about his journey, uh, both into becoming a priest and now as he's moving forward into the Archdiocese of Seattle. Now, before we, before the break, we were talking about this universal call to holiness that each of us has, that Christ is calling us to live a holy life. And, and holiness is not just for the saints who are in heaven. Rather, holiness in our lives can have a profound effect on the people around us. And we're going to talk today with uh, Bishop-elect Magenberg specifically about that, about how the, the, those people who he's been around, who have answered that universal call to holiness, who have done the hard thing and striven to, to follow God wherever he leads, those things can really profoundly affect the course of someone else's life, not just your own, but someone else's life. Bishop Lecht, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Timothy. Great to be here. So you're in the middle of an exciting time in your life, a little bit of a whirlwind, as you are having to uh, wrap up all of the things that you have been going, all the initiatives that you've had here in Tulsa, and and moving on to really a place that you've you've only been twice before in your life, yes? I, I really uh, haven't been there too much to the Pacific Northwest. I do have some um, aunts uh, who had lived there, and uh, I have some cousins who are still there, and I look forward to reconnecting with them. But you're right. My last visit there was in 1981 when I was a college student, and uh, I remember being very fascinated um, and captivated by the beauty of the area. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your your journey uh, to the priesthood and through the priesthood now into this new ordination, this new office of bishop. Uh, as I read through your, your biography, which is there on the Christ the King webpage, one of the things I noticed was that you had a life that was punctuated uh, by interactions with, with those who lived saintly lives and some of them who are now uh, saints and on their way to becoming saints. I want to talk a little bit about how those encounters affected your journey, starting with uh, Servant of God, Father Stanley Rother, who's going to be beatified here coming up in September. Uh, Talk about that interaction and how that affected your life. Well, first, um, let me just comment that when you say punctuated, um, I would not want to give the misimpression uh, that I had extensive ongoing relationships with um, any of the people that we'll be discussing. They were very momentary encounters, and yet each of them was, in a certain sense, um, a life-changing moment for me. Um, so I can, I can reflect with you briefly. Uh, my experience of uh, meeting uh, Father Stanley Rother was in the spring of 1981, uh, when basically I, I was asked to serve Mass for him. Um, and I was a freshman in college. Now, that's not the first thing that a freshman in college necessarily wants to do. Mm-hmm. But um, my dad was pretty insistent, and so I did. Uh, but I, I didn't know. First of all, I didn't know him. I don't think I'd ever met him before. I didn't know that he was assigned to the mission in Guatemala. 
Um, all I know is that he happened to be the priest that was celebrating that mass uh, when we traveled to another town uh, for my aunt and uncle's anniversary. And um, what I recall was, as a college student, being very captivated by him. I had never met someone who had a spiritual presence like he did, uh, a very quiet presence, very joyful, deeply peaceful. And I was aware that there was something very different about this person. And it was, it was a difference that um, was uh, basically, uh, I think, a permeating um, a gift of Christ's presence. And I was so captivated by that while I was serving the Mass that um, it, it awakened within me a, a desire to once again be open to the idea of priesthood as a possibility for my future. Mm-hmm. And so I credit, really, the serving of that Mass as a very pivotal moment. Later in that summer is when he was martyred. His martyrdom for me served as a confirmation of his life rather than, um, uh, you know, as, as the decisive moment in my vocational discernment. Um, the decisive moment occurred in the serving of that Mass. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that this gives us such a beautiful picture of, of sanctity because we look at the saints as almost this removed, uh, yeah, they, they lived holy lives, but those lives are almost picture-perfect things that we look back on. And yet the sanctity in the moment is something that has a profound impact on on us when we're in, in the presence of holiness. Well, and him, the sanctity of his moment uh, was pretty unique. And I say that because he was in Oklahoma that spring of 1981 trying to prayerfully decide what he should do. Should he return to Guatemala, a place where um, his life had been threatened, or should he remain in Oklahoma where it was safe and he would be protected? And I think that any time any of us comes to a decisive moment in our lives, especially when it involves a question of faith, if we are praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, as, as Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Luke, God will not deny that prayer. And the Lord will share with us the gift of the Spirit when we honestly pray to be receptive and open and and offer our lives to be guided by the Lord's Spirit. And I think that's what he was doing. And so I think that there was an intensification of the Holy Spirit that was given to him to help him make that decision uh, that would be faithful, uh, that would allow him to follow um, the Lord's will in his life. And ultimately that decision was to return to Guatemala where he would become a martyr later that summer. Yeah. And what a, what a difficult decision that, that is to say, Hey, I know, and this is the same decision that Christ made. I know that if I go back to this place that, that they'll kill me. And yet, uh, both Christ and father Rother felt that what was going to be gained out of returning was worth it. Uh, there's a great documentary about uh, Father Rother's life that was put together by the local PBS affiliate in Oklahoma. I'm going to put a link to that over on our social media. Why don't you go and check that out? It's just about 26 minutes long. We'll also put a link over to the Father Stanley Rother Guild, which exists to tell his story and to, to ask for prayer, ask people to pray for his canonization. Now, he will be beatified on Saturday, September 23rd. You can also get information about that beatification service uh, on the, the Stanley Rother Guild page. We'll put that up on social media as well. Now, following this experience with Father Rother, you, you went ahead and went to seminary. You went to the Gregorian College, uh, North American College in Rome, uh, and were ordained on July 14th, 1989. And during that time, 
you now had the opportunity to to interact with another order and another saint in the form of uh, Saint Teresa of Calcutta. Talk to us just a little bit about that experience. Sure. Well, in, in the 1980s, uh, Mother Teresa was uh, obviously a world figure already, um, was very known. But you have to remember that in the 1980s, the process for canonization uh, took 50 years or more. Mm-hmm. And so um, none of us ever expected that she would even be beatified during our lifetimes, much less canonized. And, uh, you know, we were very conscious of the fact that Mother Teresa was, aside from being a world figure, that she was also a person of outstanding holiness and charity. Um, so my, my interaction, uh, again, with her was very momentary uh, and yet very impactful. It began really by getting to know her sisters and working with the missionaries of charity and some of their soup kitchens and homeless shelters in the city of Rome. And seeing the joy that the sisters exuded, it was it, it was refreshing. It was life giving. Uh, it was inspiring. It was encouraging, and I really really enjoyed being around the sisters. Um, that kind of um, grew into a um, more committed relationship with the missionaries of charity in Rome. And uh, when I returned to finish my license studies uh, in 1989 to 1990, then the missionary of charity sisters asked me if I would a chaplain for, uh, which basically meant celebrating Mass one one day a week. Mm-hmm. And I alternated with one of my classmates to do that, Father Doug Maluski in the Archdiocese of Newark. And over the course of that year, my first year as a priest, uh, one of the real blessings of being a chaplain for their local convent uh, was the opportunity to celebrate Mass uh, for Mother Teresa when she would visit Rome. Mm-hmm. And over the course of that year, I had the opportunity to do that on three occasions. And um, there was a particular humbling grace in being a newly ordained priest and being able to um, celebrate the Eucharist and give communion uh, to Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. She was very generous with her time, especially with the priests. And, and um, after we would celebrate Mass with her, um, she would always want to greet us and, and maybe say a few words of encouragement to us. And, and those are very humbling moments, but there are moments when, when I realized that um, there was an intensely spiritual presence about her, too. Uh, the same spiritual presence that I had uh, experienced in Father Rother. And her brief comments um, uh, really communicated her deep joy, her deep love for the Lord, her, her deep commitment to serve Jesus and others. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what she did. She was not a social worker. Um, she was motivated by the deeply committed desire to bring Christ to others and serve Christ in others. Yeah. And, and that's what made her such a uh, sanctifying experience of a holy encounter. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg, currently pastor of Christ the King, but on his way to the Archdiocese of Seattle. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And we're talking about the importance of sanctity, the universal call to holiness. So what I want you to do is go over there and tell me, I want to become more, and then fill in the blank. What is it that you're striving for this Easter season to live out holiness in your life? We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you're here today as we explore the universal call to holiness, your call and my call to live out a vocation that gives glory and honor to God as we live holy lives. Uh, we're looking at this in a little bit of a backwards way today as we look at the effect of holiness on one person in particular. We're talking with uh, Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg about his journey uh, both into the priesthood and now through the priesthood as he is on his way to the Archdiocese of Seattle to be the auxiliary bishop there together with Archbishop Peter Sarton and Bishop Eusebio Elizondo, who we had on the show uh, gosh, back in February to talk about immigration. You can still catch that show over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, but in the meantime, I also I want you to go over to our social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. And what we're doing today is we're talking about uh, what it is you and I need to do to begin walking in holiness. So you're going to say, uh, I want to be, and then a person who, right? I want to be a person who reads a chapter a day of, of a church document. I want to be a person who spends 15 minutes a day in prayer. I want to be a person who spends one hour a week in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Whatever it is for you, whatever baby step is the next step in your journey towards holiness, uh, that's what I want you to tell me over on Twitter or Facebook or whatever other means of communication floats your boat. Uh, and so, hey, if, if you're the kind of person who wants to do an Instagram thing and you somehow find a way to put the words on it and make it say what you want it to say, uh, well, go ahead and the Instagram is step outside the walls. You can find it really easily. Uh, share it with the world. And that gives us a little bit of uh, a little bit of accountability as people come back and say, so remember that thing you were going to do? How's that going? For me, I want to be a person who reads a little bit of the Church Fathers every day. And you can come and ask me about that on social media. I don't mind. Come on, talk to me. So uh, today we're talking with Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg about his journey. Just before the break, we talked about his encounter both with uh, Servant of God, Father Stanley Rother, who's going to be beatified on September 23rd, coming up here soon, uh, and his experience with St. Teresa of Calcutta and how that affected him. But Bishop-elect, these weren't your only experiences with uh, being com coming face-to-face -face with sanctity. You also had some experiences with the Glen Mary Home Missionaries in Kentucky uh, and some experiences in Africa where you really came to, uh, to, to a deeper understanding, to a crystallization of the church's preferential option for the poor, that, that in some very significant way, the church in her mission is oriented towards the poor. And this, this inner sanctity, this universal call to holiness, draws us towards outward mission, which in effect draws other people towards inner sanctity and to outward mission. How has this affected you in your priesthood, and how do you expect this to, to be carried over into this, this new role of bishop? Well, let me, let me begin by um, just commenting. When you say that the Church's mission uh, is, is service, I, I would rephrase that to say that the Church's mission is to make Christ known. Mm -hmm. And that means making Christ known to others, but also encountering Christ for ourselves. And so our works of charity, our missionary outreach and serving others, it has to first and foremost be understood as a way in which we are encountering Christ. 
And um, Francis had a very beautiful uh, statement. I think it was about a year and a half ago. He made the comment. He said, when we serve the poor, do we allow the poor to evangelize us? Mm-hmm. And that was a very interesting question. It was a challenge to not just do something for someone, but it was a challenge to be open to the divine encounter in our very groups of charity for others. And that's, again, the difference between a holy encounter and a simply humanitarian effort. So with that in mind, my experience with uh, Glen Mary Home Missioners uh, occurred really during my college years, mm-hmm. uh, my final college years. And it was an opportunity for me for the first time in my life to really experience uh, the rewarding joy of Christian service. And it was, um, it was an opportunity also to accompany other college students and to uh, see them, you know, come alive in their faith by this spiritual encounter. The Glenmary Home Missioners uh, did a really wonderful job of facilitating these uh, service weeks in Vanceburg, Kentucky. And um, I think I spent a total of maybe three weeks with them over the course of my college experience. But what it did is it awakened within me the, the deep joy of authentic Christian service. And it assured me, too, that in my life I could be happy as a person who served others. And I needed to know that because my college studies were really focused on a professional career uh, in geology. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I needed to know that there could be a fulfillment in, in actually um, serving others, either as a priest or however. And, and that's what that experience did for me. Uh, it awakened me to actually have a, um, a moment of meeting Jesus in the process of serving others. And I've never forgotten that. You know, that that's such a, a profound thing that Christ talked about in Matthew 25. Uh, whatever you've done to the least of these, you, you've done it to me. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was naked and you gave me drink. I was, I was homeless and you invited me in. And it can be really hard to see Christ in these situations where uh, maybe we feel like we're going to be taking advantage of, or we, we feel like uh, somehow we're not equipped to handle these needs. And one of the things that Mother Teresa said is that I can't help everyone, but I can help this one. I, you do great thing, do small things with great love. Don't worry about whether you can do all of these great things. And how do we do that? How do we do small things with great love? Well, we recognize that we're doing it for Christ. This this offering of, of a meal uh, that we, my family, often does as we're driving through uh, a drive-through, we'll pick up an extra meal uh, for someone who we see there on the street, and we, we provide that because this is Christ standing on the street. Uh, even though it may not look like it, we're encountering Christ in that service. So, Bishop-elect, what would you say to someone who... Uh, they're discerning their vocation. They're trying to figure out how to live this life of holiness. They're trying to figure out what does it look like to live a life of service. Uh, what would you say to them as they're, as they're discerning and trying to figure out what that looks like and, and how they can live out their call to, to provide for those in need? Well, I think the first thing that I would say is that um, Jesus himself points out in the gospel that service is not an optional element within the life of a Christian disciple. He even identifies himself as one who comes to serve and not be served. 
And in doing so, he's obviously telling us that if we're going to be his disciples, that we're also going to find our identity rooted in him as a servant of others. And being a servant of others doesn't mean that we do what other people want. Uh, It means that we do what Jesus wants for that other person. And sometimes that means that uh, people may not welcome our works of service. Certainly that's important to remember, especially when someone feels that their efforts are unappreciated, um, rejected, uh, or somehow um, being ignored. We need to remember that Jesus washed the feet of both Peter and Judas, um, and that Jesus forgave those who weren't even asking his forgiveness. All of those are works of service. If we only serve those who are going to reciprocate it, appreciate it, um, or somehow be changed by it, then we become very selective and prejudicial in our outreach. And uh, that, that's, those are not the qualities that Jesus um, wants us to have as disciples. So I would say remember to be, remember to be generous, remember to be faithful, uh, remember that we ultimately do our works of service for Jesus and not for others. Um, we do them to others, but we do them because we're serving Jesus in them. And anything that we do for Jesus is never um, a lost effort or a failed effort. And take hope and consolation in that, and don't be discouraged. I love the way you put that, that the uh, that uh, an effort for Christ is never a failed effort. Uh, Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg, thank you so much. I know that you've got a lot going on. You've, you've got to do this whole transition and, and finish up your work there at Christ the King in Tulsa as you prepare to be an auxiliary bishop for the Archdiocese of Seattle. Uh, your consecration is going to be out in Seattle on May 31st. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you, Timothy. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, uh, well, you know, I can't ever be like uh, Mother Teresa. I'm not a consecrated layperson. I can't ever be like Father Stanley Rother or the, uh, or the Glenmary Home Missionaries because I'm, I'm married. I have a family. And, and so, you know, the, the sanctity is for those people. Holiness is for those people as they serve. And, and I'm just trying to get through life. Well, it's not quite that easy because there is this universal call to holiness. And as we walk in obedience to Christ, as we see Christ in in those around us and serve them, two things happen. One, we are made, uh, we're fulfilled. We, we're made more holy. We're given uh, joy and graces that we never knew existed. And two, the people around us are changed. They're drawn to Christ by the light of Christ that shines forth through our outward service. Remember, inner sanctity leads us to outward mission, which leads others to inner sanctity, which leads them to outward mission, and it goes on and on and on from there. Well, don't go anywhere. We've been talking today with Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg, but there's more to come right after this Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There you'll find some information about Father Stanley Rother. You'll also have an opportunity to tell me what is it that you are going to endeavor to do. Uh, I want to be a person who, and then fill in the blank, let us all know, I want to be a person who interacts with the church fathers on a daily basis. That's mine. What's yours? We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and I am glad that you are here as we talk about the universal call to holiness and uh, and what that does, what that does not only in our own lives as we are held to that standard of, of living a life set apart for the glory of God, uh, but also what impact that has on those around us. We heard about Father Stanley Rother, who's on his way to being a saint, but he got there uh, by living a holy life, and that holy life affected those people around him. We talked with uh, Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg and heard a little bit of his story about he how he was drawn to the priesthood just by serving one Mass and watching Father Stanley uh, in, in that environment. If you missed any part of the episode or if you want to share it with someone else, good news. All you got to do is go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click on the episode archives, and you can find this episode and every other episode we've ever produced. Uh, you can listen to them there on the website, or you can find the links to subscribe to it on your favorite podcast aggregator. Maybe you can't get near the radio uh, when when this show airs. Well, don't worry. You can get it sent to your phone or your favorite podcast listening device uh, every week on the dot without any effort. It's on demand. You never you never lose it. You never misplace it. And uh, so today we're, we've been uh, we've been talking about this universal call to holiness, and the readings for today are just perfect. Sometimes they just line up, and sometimes, like this week, you have to go looking for them a little bit. So we're going to take our reading from from Scripture out of tomorrow. That's the fifth Sunday of Easter, uh, and we're going to read out of uh, the the epistle, uh, and it's just I think pretty pretty close to what we need to remember as we're trying to figure out what it means to be holy people. And this reading comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. And Peter, our first pope, says to those to whom he's writing, Beloved, come to him, a living stone rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in it shall not be put to shame. Therefore, its value is for you who have faith. But for those without faith, that stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that will make people stumble and a rock that will make them fall. They stumble by disobeying the word, as is their destiny. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may announce the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That reading comes from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, and you Peter says, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that, right, we're not these things for our own, we are these things, holy nation, people of his own, so that you may announce the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We announce those praises, one, through, through living a life that's oriented towards God, right? I, we, we go to Mass every Sunday. Great, that's good. That's a good, perfect start, right? But now 
the book of Deuteronomy that we talked about last week says, uh, talk about these things, these commandments, these beautiful things of God, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you come in, when you go out, that we're not just a people who goes to Mass, but now we're a people who, empowered by the graces of God that we receive in Mass through the body, blood, soul, and divinity given to us in the Eucharist, now we get to go out and be Christ, be the hands and feet of Christ to the world around us, to serve Christ in the world around us, and by doing so, we announce the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Today's reading from church history comes from my favorite St. Peter Chrysologist, bishop and doctor of the church. Uh, I had to go back to Tuesday. I had to hunt a little bit for today's readings to make them fit in with our topic. Uh, but this, this is a great one, so it, was worth, it wasn't too far away. Uh, back on Tuesday out of the breviary, as we hear from St. Peter Chrysologist, he says this. I appeal to you by the mercy of God. This appeal is made by Paul, or rather, it is made by God through Paul, because of God's desire to be loved rather than feared. To be a father rather than a lord, God appeals to us in his mercy to avoid having to punish us in his severity. Listen to the Lord's appeal. In me, I want you to see your own body, your members, your heart, your bones, your blood. You may fear what is divine, but why not love what is human? You may run away from me as Lord, but why not run to me as your Father? Perhaps you were filled with shame for causing my bitter passion. Do not be afraid. This cross inflicts a mortal injury not on me, but on death. These nails no longer pain me but only deepen your love for me. I do not cry out because of these wounds, but through them I draw you into my heart. My body was stretched on the cross as a symbol, not of how much I suffered, but of my all-embracing love. I count it no less to shed my blood. It is the price I have paid for your ransom. Come, Come then, return to me, and learn to know me as your Father, who repays good for evil, love for injury, and boundless charity for piercing wounds. Listen now to what the Apostle urges us to do. I appeal to you, he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By this exhortation of his, Paul has raised all men to priestly status. How marvelous is the priesthood of the Christian, for he is both the victim that is offered on his own behalf and the priest who makes the offering. He does not need to go beyond himself to seek what he is to immolate to God. With himself and in himself, he brings the sacrifice he is to offer to God for himself. The victim remains and the priest remains, always one and the same. Immolated, the victim still lives. The priest who immolates cannot kill. Truly, it's an amazing sacrifice in which a body is offered without being slain and blood is offered without being shed. The apostle says, I appeal to you by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Brethren, this sacrifice follows the patterns of Christ's sacrifice by which he gave his body as a living immolation for the life of the world. 
He really made his body a living sacrifice because though slain, he continues to live. In such a victim, death receives its ransom, but the victim remains alive. Death itself suffers the punishment. This is why death for the martyrs is actually a birth. Their end, a beginning. Their execution is the door to life. And those who are thought to have been blotted out from the earth shine brilliantly in heaven. Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, living and holy. The prophet said the same thing. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but you have prepared a body for me. Each of us is called to be both a sacrifice to God and his priest. Do not forfeit what divine authority confers on you. Put on the garment of holiness. Gird yourself with the belt of chastity. Let Christ be your helmet. Let the cross on your forehead be your unfailing protection. Your breastplate should be the knowledge of God that he himself has given you. Keep burning continually the sweet-smelling incense of prayer. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Let your heart be an altar. Then, with full confidence in God, present your body for sacrifice. God desires not death, but faith. God thirsts not for blood, but for self-surrender. God is appeased not by slaughter, but by the offering of your free will. That reading comes from a homily, a sermon by St. Peter Chrysologus, bishop and doctor of the church, one of my favorites, because his, his writing, his homilies, his sermons are so uh, golden, which is how he got his name, actually. It means uh, golden-worded, St. Peter the golden-worded, St. Peter Chrysologus. So here we are. You and I are called to offer ourselves, called to offer our lives in service, right? As we heard about with our interview with Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg, to offer our lives in service as we give to Christ our service, right? We serve Christ as we serve those around us. But more than that, as we are called to, to this holiness, this holy life, that we, we look at the things in our life that do not foster our relationship with God. They may not be bad things, but they're not things that make us holy. They're not things that draw us into deeper relationship with God. And we say, hmm, can I put that on the altar this week? Am I ready to give up this entertainment or this trifle so that I can attain fulfillment in Christ? It's a big challenge, but it's worth it. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks so much for joining us here on Outside the Walls. Next week uh, is my 11th anniversary with my darling bride, and she's going to join me on the show. That's going to be a show you're not going to want to miss. I can't wait to hear what she's got to say. Outside the Walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show. Heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcasting. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com for more information and showtimes. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.